Welcome to a special episode to help everyone get caught up on the current story before the upcoming DLC, Rise of Iron. This is Focus Fire Chat, and this is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have Justin Sane 0516. Justin, how are things going? They are off to an awesome start. I don't know what I'm doing. Great. <laughs> we are not off to an awesome start, then. <laughs> And we also have with us our friend from across the pond. My name is Bife. Bife, it's been too long. How have things been? It has been too long. It's a pleasure to be back. And I'm happy that you guys were happy to host me because, oh my gosh, I have stuff to share. Yes. I wish I could share more details and whatnot, but I'm happy to help people get caught up on the prelude and lore to Rise of Iron. Perfect. Yes. Well, as many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at about 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. With this episode, we're hoping to give a summary look at the story of Destiny so far in regards to the upcoming expansion. This is definitely not meant to be an all-encompassing or definitive episode. For that, I would strongly suggest jumping into our Discord server, catching up on past episodes from our website, or tuning into Bife's YouTube channel, or actually just do all three of those. I want to let Bife start us off with the discussion, however. Bife. Obviously, the majority of the chat is going to be over the Iron Lords, with some Fallen lore thrown in as well. Where do you feel is the best place for us to start? I think this is going to be the cliched opening that I think everybody expected, but I think the best place to start is actually at the beginning, so to speak, or at the beginning of the collapse, really. We could go back further into the Fallen lore, but I think that's only relevant when they come into the picture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we start there. As the um, as the traveler has just sacrificed itself essentially and fought the final fight with the darkness, or alternatively has been stopped from fleeing by Rasputin, depending on which theory you look at. When that's happened, it sends out the ghosts, and initially, it's worth noting that the ghosts just find individuals, and they're not classified technically as guardians yet. The Dark Age is what immediately starts there. And during the Dark Age, there were two brands, really, of individuals that started wielding the power of the Traveler in its light. And those individuals were either known as warlords, who were individuals that would basically go through and terrorize all sorts of individuals in the world, or alternatively, they would be known as Iron Lords. Now, warlords basically started out just because they're you know, all over the place. They're these individuals that have this great power all of a sudden, and humanity is almost powerless to stop them. Iron Lords formed to stop that sort of dissolution and to stop the chaos that was being caused by it. So you can all of a sudden go in and find, wow, take a look at this. You have individuals like Radagast and uh, Yolda who rose up and decided to use their powers for good. And so this is really how the Iron Banner and the Iron Lords start. Radagast begins to assemble them. And he is, as far as we know, I don't know if this is technically it, but he's the, definitely the leader of the Iron Banner. I don't yeah. want to say he's the first Iron Lord, but he is kind of the first one that sort of helps organize it, really. Well, and he's always been the King Arthur. I mean, even mm. in the memory of Radagast, he was described as the first among equals and the King Arthur of the group. So, mm. I mean, yeah, so definitely. Yeah. 
primers into pares, all iron lords are equal, but at the same time, there had to be one that came first. Right. And so, yeah, um, with that, you really do uh, bring forth that era where you've got guardians who, oh, sorry, you don't have guardians at all. You, they don't even exist at this point. You have iron lords, rather, who are roaming around Earth, and essentially they fight against these warlords, these individuals of great power who are just sort of terrorizing everyone in the world. With that now, you then have a totally interesting discovery, which I'm amazed that we actually got to learn this, and I'm so happy. But we get the uh, little word on what happened with Felwinter's Peak. Long story short, Felwinter quite literally discovered it and named it after himself, and he doesn't exactly... It doesn't say in the lore if he stated this, but this is where the Iron Lords made their home. Lord Silamar made the Iron Temple on Felwinter's Peak, which was essentially the base of operations, the home of all the Iron Lords. So, yeah, I mean, going forth from that, you have all of them making patrols that range out across the world. I say across the world. Um, you know, we're really looking more at sort of across Earth post-collapse. So you have them going out and defending the scattered colonies um, of humanity at this point. And essentially, and it's not clear whether this is before or after they fight the warlords, but they are fighting the warlords. So, right. yeah, you're going out there and experiencing this moment of terror um, for humanity. But at the same time, the Iron Lords are kind of that light in the darkness. So it's something rather unique. Yeah, and I think, you know, in going going back to when we did our Iron Lord episode, you know, obviously our theory on the Iron Wolves has kind of been... I wouldn't say it's been thrown out entirely, but the theory that the Iron Wolves were opposed to the Iron Lords, you know, was that's that's been kind of dis- debunked as far as we're all concerned, because they kind of when especially in that roundtable, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, they kind of made the comment that they are the same. You know, they are the wolves and mm-hmm. the lords were, I mean, roughly they were, they're not the same necessarily, but they're on the same side. They're not, yeah. you know, I believe, the, like I believe the comment was that the iron wolves are iron lords, but at the same time, there have been literally hundreds of iron right. lords, so to speak, not merely the iron lords that we know now, but also the other iron lords um, of various different types. So even as we go forward into the future of destiny, you're still going to see a lot of people who go up in the lore and appear all of a sudden. And these individuals will be named. They will be significant. And you may have other people out there. So, I mean, for all we know, it there could be a group like the Iron Song. Maybe these were mm-hmm. specific followers of Scory. Or maybe the Iron Shields. Maybe they were followers of Silmar. This is, I don't know this for certain, by the way. This is not stuff that's come from the inside of Bungie. So don't, right, don't, right. Uh, feel free to <laughs> don't speculate on that nonsense. Well, in the but, fun, um, I had a, yeah. I had a fun thing about the Iron Wolves because if you remember, we got those Wolfswood items. You know, the cloak, the bond, and the mark. And you know, this mm-hmm. was this was a lot of where a lot of these theories or this well, this big theory that the wolves were against the lords kind of that's where it kind of started. Um, but the introduction of Siva actually, to me at least, this is just me, but or it may just be me, but the introduction of the Siva and the presentation of the infestation of Siva actually makes you read that a little bit differently, especially the bond, because the quote from that is says under a red dawn. The iron wolves gathered beneath the ironwood, and ben- and then the mm. mark goes on and says, and beneath its branches, the iron wolves forged an unbreakable oath. Unbreakable oath. And so, but I mean, the emphasis there is, you know, there's obviously very a lot of um, 
a lot of symbolism with the red dawn, but we know Siva is the red tentacles that are going all over the place and, you know, eating everything. And I thought I just, to me, that just kind of stuck out as an interesting, you know, under a red, uh, the dawn of a red sky or mm-hmm. under the red dawn of Siva, this is when the iron wolves gathered beneath the ironwood and like they formally, you know, I can just see in my head that they're they formally you know, begin the right, actual process. Right. And they, it's, it's very you know, they're out fighting. Well. Bun- no, yeah. no, no, go. Whenever go Bungie go. does something, whenever Bungie does something, they always do it for a purpose. Always. There's never, ever a lack of purpose to something that they write in the grimoire. Right. I'm and very much a believer in the fact that if it's there, you can know that it exists for a reason. So, well, yeah, and, I mean, you know, basically, no, sorry. We and that was one of the quotes that we've like thrown around a lot is because with the limited information that we have in the grimoire, you can be sure that everything that's been actually and they kind of nodded to this on the the round table too. Um with the limited information that we have as players, you know, we know that there's books and books and books of essays that they've written which I would love to steal Please. and have access to them. Oh my God. But yes. You know, we only have the very tip of the iceberg. And so, you know, for certain that anything that we have, you it's there. There is a lot of emphasis and a lot of importance on that. So, Justin, I think you had something you wanted to throw in. Yeah, too. yeah actually, I kind of had uh, kind of a crazy idea. It's, it's a little out there, but um, we, we know at some point um, the Iron Lords, I don't want to use the word disbanded, but they kind of got scattered. And um, that was some point after containing the SIVA outbreak. And that's kind of what I see. I'm with you, Blue. I, I kind of see the, the, the mark and the, the cloak and the bond as describing that. But I just, it just hit me. Um, what if the wolves are the scattered lords? Scattered lords. And we're lords. But now there's nothing to be a lord over. Now there, you know, there's all this talk within Destiny lore of the wolf and the pack and all the, all this other stuff. What if what if the wolves are the lord? What if the do you kind of follow? Yeah. What if the lords became wolves? Basically, exactly. When they now, struck see, out on with, their own. With, with this, it's well worth noting though. Um, in lots of different points for the promotional stuff, I should point out again, promotional. This is not me bringing information back from Bungie. <laughs> They've stated that now only two Iron Lords remain. Right. And okay. it's very clearly stated that there's more than two Iron Wolves. So it's... Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I and would, it was... I, I, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's in the new trailer that actually hit earlier today, they actually said only one remained, and that was Saladin. I think it, mm, which but is, you see that's that's interesting. That's, spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah. alert. They don't want to talk about Scory, I believe. Or they yeah, talk Eff- about. is it Ephraim? I, 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 oh, not Scory. Yeah, it's Ephraim. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it could, there but, I, I mean, am the, being the, the law nerd and failing at being a law nerd. <laughs> okay. We won't. We won't tell Sean. We promise. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so by I, am I right in a sort of NDA? Um, you're not right. I'm not right. Okay. Y- you are not correct. They are okay. not wolves. Just, I just want to. Uh, want to you know just let you know if you feel uncomfortable at any i don't point, i don't even need to safe. break my nda to let you know that you're completely wrong justin <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> wow that was 
way harsher than I intended. It was, it to be. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I, I know it sounded really nice. In your head, but it came. It came out, and all of a sudden, I was like, I regret this decision. <laughs> no, no. I was just gonna say, if you if you feel uncomfortable at any point talking about it, the safe word is fell winter. Okay, so just, just let us know. But what if I'm talking about fell winter's peak? <laughs> that that will be. That's gonna be. You're just gonna have to repeat it. Say it double. <laughs> So, well, so okay. So fell winter, fell winter's peak, something yeah. like that. <laughs> my confirmed, my Iron Wolves theory's wrong. I missed that. Let's move on. <laughs> let's let's avoid the awkwardness. Well, and so these these uh, Iron Lords, you know, and they've they've repeatedly brought up the the parallel with you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and all this. And Siva, of course, if we follow that that metaphor to its full conclusion, Siva has become the the chalice, you know, the the Holy Grail. The Holy that Grail. They are, that, that they are chasing. And unlike, you know, King Arthur, they actually find it. And it's not what they were thinking it was going to be, it sounds like. Bad things happen. <laughs> Very bad things. And, um... Yeah, and so it, and so then that ultimately in the in the past that had led to you know they found Siva Siva which has been described as basically nanotechnology. I keep getting the picture in my head of replicators from Stargate, um, which you know if you are a fan of Stargate SG One or any of the Stargate series, you understand how absolutely terrifying that concept is. Um, but this nanotechnology was actually used during the golden age, which, you know, a small plug for us, that will be our topic next week is the golden age. So we'll be talking a bit about this, but it was used actually to build and to construct the cities and even to construct the wall to a degree. But the big thing that they keep saying, and they kind of, they kind of didn't really make a big, big statement about this at first, but they've repeated it a couple of times is Siva is really not sentient in its own right. It requires a it requires a guiding a mind. mind to control it, right? Mm. Yeah, and it and, and I've heard I've heard a couple people say it requires a war mind. Well, it, mm, it can, really but it, but they didn't say that. They said it mind. So it does. I mean, it can be controlled by. And this is kind of where the falling come into it. For instance, the splicers from the House of Devils, and so we kind of were introduced to this idea, and we. You know, in hindsight, it's like, okay, this does make a lot of sense that the Fallen would have a cast of being or of a position in their society that kind of does this. But this was the idea of splicing. And that is literally, you you know, just like with genetic splicing, you take something that's biological and something mechanical and you splice it together and you form a new entity. And so... Basically, these splicers have discovered, and we actually got a nod to this back in Vanilla Destiny. If you go back and you read the House of Devil cards, there is a quote that says that the House of Devils have now devoted great strength to pillaging the Cosmodrome in Old Russia, hunting for something buried below. If they are not mm. held in check, whatever they might, whatever they find, might prove the city's undoings. This is a. This, and that's, this, all, that's all the way in the House of Devils grimoire card for right. vanilla. Right. right? Yeah. It's, it's and not we like always kind of assumed they were talking about a war mind, or at least I did. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but yeah, every, everyone, everyone thought they were talking about Rasputin. Mm. But, oh, nope. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they're also, you know, their color is also red. But we're not going to 
draw too many parallels <laughs> with that. Um, I think that actually might be a coincidence, but it does work. It, it does bear noting. So indeed, the House of Devils has you know basically <laughs> we we have decimated the House of Devils completely. Like we've killed their cow. They ain't got crap. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't have anything. We the first I think it was the second mission or the first mission of the game we kill their archon. Uh, Saint fourteen with a white with a white weapon. By the way, <laughs> he Saint, should be so ashamed of himself. <laughs> Saint fourteen puts a dent in the skull of the Kel, and their servitor. Well, everyone yeah, remembers Devil's Lair, so well, not dead anymore, I guess. But you know, that's, right. that's later when it gets but, to the point. And that and that's interesting too because that points to again the splicer cast, which I. The way I kind of see the splicers is that they would roll up underneath the Archon. Because, again, remember Kel, or not Kel, sorry, the Fallen Triumvirate is Kel, Archon, and Prime Servitor. And the Kel has kind of been the political leader. The Archon has been the mediator between the Kel and the Servitor. And the the Prime Servitor controls all the other Servitors. And the Servitors within the Fallen Society... Uh, produce ether and actually are the ship's navigators. Uh, you can see this mm-hmm. in the drifter, where there's still a servitor on that main in the center. In the center, that thing that's spinning around—that's actually a decrepit servitor that's been destroyed by the hive. So, you know, and then the archon is the kind of the mediator between the two because they, you know, no one really likes each other, and in any triumvirate situation, they're always vying for power. So. All three of these figures, the guardian, our guardian, pretty much, and you know other guardians have just completely cut the head off the snake. Actually, all three of the heads of this hydra have been decapitated. <laughs> well, as with any yeah. hydra, they regrow. It has regrown, and so I mean, and do you want, do they you want to talk that ugly? <laughs> so yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's kind of a very interesting thing with this, right? Because when you look at where the plague lands is. Um, it's the southern wall to the Cosmodrome that's been breached, technically, right? That's where we initially go out, and that's where you can actually find a catch if you go to the Plague Lands. I believe I can say that now because we're allowed to publish our patrol footage. Um, but the Plague Lands is actually over, and it's further to the east. Uh, it's kind of the northeast area of the Plague Land of the uh, Cosmodrome, so to speak, and that's really where everything starts to go down. So clearly, whilst we did have the Cosmodrome that were in the west, uh, sorry, the Fallen that were in the west of the Cosmodrome. They were being less successful with Rasputin. They couldn't get past his hacks. Even Saber 2 got destroyed. We did then suddenly have this other sect of splicers from the House of Devils, and they have been much more successful. When they dig up Siva, it basically initiates this massive arms race, and everything suddenly changes. And it's worth noting as well that the um, the splicers are kind of their own th- force within the house. They are not something which you can go ahead and look at and say, like, yeah, these are these are our dudes, and they're you know obedient to our will. The splices almost feel like they have their own political clout, and that's you can mm-hmm. see that from some of the quotes of the Sepix Perfected Strike. Speaking of Sepix Perfected, that's one of the first big plays that they make. Is after Siva has been found and they start infusing themselves with that technology, all of a sudden you get this crazy reoccurrence of Sepix where they repair it and quite literally. The scariest thing about that is that not only have you brought back a prime servitor, which we destroyed however many millions of times, but also um, 
you've essentially brought back one of the key figures that could have could unite the house. Right. And so this this right now is kind of panic mode for the Guardians, so to speak. You know, you've got a lot at stake all of a sudden. And this is really where Rise of Iron starts to begin after they do bring back Sepix, because then the next thing that they end up doing is, and it's not entirely clear why this is, but they move to the Vostok Observatory and start attacking the Iron Temple. Right? Hmm. So with that in mind, you then have, uh, you've got a really interesting question, which is, how did the Fallen know to attack there? Right? What What told them to attack there? Because you know, they weren't killed by Iron Lords, so to speak. You know, they've been beaten back at various different battles, which I suppose we should touch on, such as the Battle of the uh, Six Fronts. They weren't, mm-hmm. at, you know, Saladin was there at the Battle of the Twilight Gap, but the Iron Band and, uh, and the Iron Lords had been sort of, you know, disbanded and murdered by that point. Um, but, you know, it's it's this really interesting case all of a sudden where you've got, um, you know, you've got these fallen who've never known about this place being directed to destroy it. So... There's some kit there as to what's going on, but it's not very obvious. Right. So, yeah. It's, it's, and I was going to, I was going to point out too. what, hang on. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, dog. <laughs> um, I was going to point out too, if SIVA is really a nanotechnology that uses, you know, self-replicating or whatever it uses to build, um, yeah, I, I would not imagine that it would be too far to assume that there's some sort of memory capacity within SIVA. So if the fallen suddenly have access to that database, you know, as as a as a database architect, you know, querying against a database once you're in the database, it's not hard. It's really not difficult. Um, they could find, you know, they could they could find out these things, especially if their splicers are good enough to actually start splicing a foreign mechanical body into the biological bodies of their own species you know Mm. if they're that good at querying against a a basic database of a of a machine would not probably be beyond them and that's a that's a big reservoir of information you know that could also be why the city could be in so much danger from the siva outbreak on top of that so it's not just siva it's that the fallen now have information and we know that the fallen have been searching for information because the kings have had you know towers that they've snuck into and put like put um cameras to spy on us yeah so mm. i mean i can i can and, totally uh, see yeah. that mm. and uh what what's even what what's more beyond all of this as well um there's the question that inevitably has to be asked whenever SIVA is involved. And people ask this the minute they see the logo of SIVA, let alone the implications of what it is and the shape of what appears on it. You know, if you're going to go ahead and see uh, SIVA as this crazy creation that was found in old Russia of all places, what is the possibility that the war mind is involved? You know, and, and mm-hmm. with Rasputin in the picture, so to speak, it's not out of the question. You know, I, I, I can't say any, I can't say much more on that topic because I genuinely just don't know. But it is something worth pulling into the discussion because, you know, you're sitting there with uh, these these crazy potential theories about how right. if Rasputin is the, um, <coughs> excuse me, is kind of the source of uh, the Siva's mind and its control then what does that mean for the relationship with the city? Guardians have been helping Rasputin. Why is it that all of a sudden he turns again on us? That's well, that's and, kind uh, of a terrifying uh, principle. Night, Nightshade in chat's asking, you know, is Siva more powerful than Rasputin? Um, I don't... Mm. 
I don't think that C, so uh, I don't in my theory no I don't think so I think I think of Siva the way that Siva has been described as far as as far as I have read now by correct me here if I've misspoken here but from what I've read Siva is a tool Siva is a um it's an axe a hammer you know whatever you want to picture but it's a tool Rasputin mm. is the person holding the tool so yeah in in and of itself See if you're comparing them as tools, no, because Rasputin is a thinking tool. His his entire exi- the war mind in general, the entire existence is based around manipulation of information and you know response. Man, that and Rasputin stuff like that. guy, he's such a tool. What a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like yeah, Siva yeah, Siva absolutely. has been described as it it does whatever it's commanded. Rasputin does the exact opposite ninety percent of the time. You know, so hmm. Siva Siva is the is the three D printer, and Rasputin's the computer that controls it. Mm-hmm. Right. More accurately, I'd say Rasputin. You can't. I can't. I don't even think you can equate Rasputin to a computer because I'd say well, it's better yeah, to say yeah, that Rasputin yeah. is the computer, but also he's also the, the person, person that's using the computer. Right. Yeah. He's the operator. Um. I I wanted to also add. What if all this time we've kind of assumed that the fallen were trying to get at Rasputin for Rasputin. What if this whole time they've been trying to get at Rasputin to wrestle Siva away to use it as a weapon? Now you see, I don't believe that's the case because more often than not, the, um, the fallen don't seem to have any kind of idea of what they're breaking into with this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, they're kind of like archeologists in a certain way, but also they're kind of like tomb pillagers, you know, uh-huh. you're sitting there and they're digging through these things that are effectively relics of our time. So they are digging these things up and for some of them, they take care. They look at Siva probably as some kind of relic yeah. or as something to be worshiped. But when you sit down and look at their actual approach to everything else, it's very clear that, you know, these guys, when they go in there and they actually look to uh, use all of our stuff and take over, it's no longer the case that they're being respectful. They are literally just grabbing this stuff and smashing it. And sometimes that means they play with power that they're not actually comprehending properly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's, that's kind of how it works out. You know, the, you kind of like just the... explained what the Guardians do. <laughs> Pretty in much. In a certain sense, yes. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Justin, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that's that's actually not too far off the mark. Mm. Back to one I mean, if you're crying out loud, look at what we do. Omelon has been described as using Golden Age technology to the point of being reckless. That is quite literally an almost perfect parallel of what the Fallen do of Siva, except Siva is way more destructive than liquid technology, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or liquid ammunition technology and Golden Age. I can't remember what exactly it is they use. I want to say it's <laughs> some kind of weird kind of... Um, thing to do with paracausal physics again, but then I just literally don't know. I'm just throwing in words that I like about the destiny universe. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about, um, a couple of the battles, right? So we know that the iron Lords were at least, well, at least some of the iron Lords were present for the battle of six fronts. Mm. And, and yeah. don't go for it, go for it. I was going to say the two that we do know are Radagast. Well, I guess the one that we know is Radagast. And then it also introduces Yagi or Jagi or however you want to pronounce Yagi, it. Jagi, I, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but yes. And I don't know if Jagi is actually an Iron Lord. In Yagi. Himself. Yeah, well, that's why I was, I was saying two Iron Lords and I realized, yeah, 
he's not it's kind actually of, it's a kind of a tentative or... potentially maybe it's not totally clear he does have a but, host yeah. but mm. he does have a host indeed um but to give everybody a bit of backstory, the Battle of the Twilight Gap is one of the earliest battles of the history of the city. It's when the walls have sort of formed in their earliest ways possible. And this is a massive assault that's made only by the House of Devils. This is not to be confused with the Battle of the Twilight Gap. The mm-hmm. Battle of the Twilight Gap is different because the Battle of the Twilight Gap involves all of the fallen houses in the system except for the House of Wolves, which, spoiler alert, the Queen kind of screwed them on that one. <laughs> but um, with this you have the entire House of Devils going up against the city. And that's really the massive conundrum that they encounter is you've got this huge force overwhelming and the guardians of the city, they're, you know, they're pretty decent at this exact moment in time, but they are not at all in a great position of strength. So the Iron Lords effectively helped them out. They were kind of a guiding light to the city. And, you know, it's also stated so many times that, you know, this was when, Guardians weren't truly ordered, etc. I don't think it's very clear that Warlock and Hunter orders had been perfectly solidified. Maybe Warlocks were a little bit more solidified than Hunters, but Hunters, it's very clear, came last. And the only orders that really existed strongly in the history of the city thus far were Titan orders. So you had individuals such as Saint-14 that were part of the order known as the Firebreak Order. And then there were others that were quite clearly there, such as the Pilgrim Guard, which is the first order of Titans. Point is, four Titan orders came along to this battle, and they were forced to hold the defenses of the city on, guess how many fronts? Six. And that's where the name for the battle comes from. Funny, interesting law fact as well if any Titans are listening to this podcast and you've ever wondered where the symbol for your class comes from, mm-hmm. that kind of hexagon made up of four different shapes, that's where it comes from. The four shapes are the four orders of Titans and the um, like the six sides to it represent the six fronts in that battle. That's how the Titans defended against the devils. So, yeah, it, it, it's this really interesting little tidbit of lore that you can jump in and see. So, pretty cool. But... Anyway, back to the Iron Lords. Uh, you had, as we said earlier, Yagi and Radagast. Not, yes, Yagi and Radagast, two individuals that were leading hosts in this battle. And both of them aligned themselves, it appears, with the Firebreak Order. So in order to kind of understand what all of them are sort of about, you do kind of need to understand that order. And if I'm not mistaken, Blue, with the Firebreak, the entire idea is that you're going in and you're trying to create this literal fire break. For those yes. of you who don't know, that's where you scorch an area of earth to make sure. <laughs> it's like my favorite from. piece of trivia. Like, or mm-hmm. well, one of them It's that they actually made an actual fire break around the city. It's I, out. I, oh my God. It was, I, it was like when we did the Titan episode, I was like, yeah, that's nice. And then I started reading the fire. Break. I was like, Oh, it's kind of cool. And it's like, cause well, I grew up where we actually had to, use those so I, I know what these are and I was like oh that's kind of interesting and then the quote about the host that made the five miles of scorched earth I was like wait hang on oh and I go back yeah. and I was like oh oh I see yeah. I see what you did there that's very clever spoiler alert by the way guys that was Radagast's host yes. that was the Iron Lords and you know it's it's this really interesting point in the battle where after the defenses are basically held these two hosts do go out and they do start doing this they create the fire break and 
Radagast's host makes it five miles, burning the land as they go, creating that kind of barrier where the fallen can't cross. But Yagi's host has its own kind of story of its own where they just sort of disappear into the wilderness. And their their story from then on is very mysterious and Mm -hmm. nobody really knows what happens. Worth noting that the ghosts come back corrupted, as it says in some of the lore. So it's not just, yeah, it's the Lost Seven, but also, you know, the fact that the ghosts came back corrupted speaks potentially to the influence of Seaver in that story. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's something we can say. I would say it would make a lot of sense. I mean, it, it would. would. Didn't, they, the, didn't they get lost somewhere near the Caspian Sea? Yes, they yes. were last seen near the Caspian Sea. Which, so, which begs begs the question: How long an expedition was it that they that they set out on? Because I really want to clue where the city. <laughs> mm. I mean, th- th- people have tried to work this out for the longest time, right? They've, people have been like, "Oh, this is where the city potentially could have been." Yeah. Map, and it's been all over the place, you know. But I think it does. You'd have to have a landmass nearby in order to do this. So, I mean, you forget about matching up rivers. Everybody knows that the geography of destiny pretty much doesn't match up with the geography of real life, except for maybe a few small bits. Everything is loosely based on something. But when it comes to um, Jaggy's host, if they were near the Caspian Sea, it puts the city quite firmly near old Russia, mm-hmm. which is, you know, even more tension when it comes to Rise of Iron, because this is not something where it's like, oh, the Taken King's kind of over there by Saturn. Worst case scenario, we can kind of start running. No, this is on my doorstep, you know? Because what's the, the Caspian? It's got like... Uh, the, Ka- Ka- so the Caspian Kazakhstan. Sea is near Russia and Kazakhstan. Um, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. And uh, yeah, that kind of area of Eastern Europe slash Eurasia. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only yeah. the only argument against it not being, <clears throat> not being in Russia is the fact that when you're on patrol in the Cosmodrome... With the size of the traveler, if the city was actually close to that, you would be able to see it, like mm-hmm. on the on the skyline. You know, like if you're uh, in oh, Twilight Gap, um, when you're in Twilight Gap and you look off to the you know past, I think that's B, control point B. If you look past, you see the traveler, like it's right there. You know, if you're in if you're patrolling the Cosmodrome and that was actually supposed to be where the city is, the argument the argument against the theory of it being in old Russia is that you would theoretically be able to see the traveler if it was in that vicinity because of the size. So Yes. Yeah. And again, you know, there's arguments that could be made, well maybe So that's a long freaking distance for someone to march. Like right. Event Horizon is what, twenty two miles? Twenty Seven twenty-five. I'm not. Totally uh, sure. Yeah, I think it's twenty-five. Mm. So you know, it, given that Radagast's host marches five miles, that's huge as far as distances go. Jaggy's host must have been chasing the fallen, being like, "I'm going to chase you to home." <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care where the hell your house is. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to break the door down. I'm going to yeah. teach you to come back to my house. So, so Jaggy is. Le- oh. mm-hmm. I, doesn't matter where you run. <laughs> He had a particular set of skills. <laughs> it will and, make life uh, very hard for you. Yes, yes. Um, if you give my city back now, <laughs> I will leave you alone, and that's the last you'll hear of me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone needs to do that. <laughs> oh, God. So. <laughs> if having... you do not, I will look for you. <laughs> I will pursue yeah, see, you. See, you've got to, you got to stuck on you. this. <laughs> And I will kill you. 
Nice. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. I don't know what that is in a I can't pass the tongue. Was that Hugh Grant at the end? Like, why did he come in? Good luck, good sir. Who am I? Off the rails. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so the other the other thing is with the with the new information that we got from I think are those the artifacts, the memories, those yes, the the iron memories. artifacts or whatever. The uh the thing from the six fronts that actually that made me think of differently is the mark of the lost charge. I always thought zealous fuse the the comments about the zealous few was kind of a nod to Saint Fourteen, but with the new description mm-hmm. of Yolder, I don't wonder if it's not her. That's not talking about mm. it because I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, I will say this though. The, I think this is just generally something that's a bit outstanding, not only because the iron Lords aren't just made up of Titans. There is also very clearly warlocks and hunters within their ranks, mm-hmm. but also because as a philosophy, they stand out very dramatically from most Titan orders. And so do the firebreaks for that matter. So the Iron Banner was known for patrolling the tracks of Earth to make sure that the citizens of Earth were safe. You know, they were supposedly the light and the darkness. Then, you know, as they keep on saying at Bungie, the Arthurian Knights of the Round Table. However, when it comes to everything else that's going on, you have this much sort of, um, much more sort of refined, but very sort of passive and offensive uh ideology that raises itself in the city which again the firebreak order opposes which is simply that we need to defend the city and defend its walls we are the walls in some cases i can't i I wouldn't necessarily attribute this to the stoneborn order because we just don't have enough lore on them but it feels like the kind of thing that they might say it's definitely what the pilgrim guard probably believe in because definitely probably wow great great job there james um you know those are the guys that literally roam outside beyond the city and then defend citizens who, who are coming to it so before they even reach the walls they are the the first defense of these individuals so you know you're going in there and you have two fundamentally different ideas um in tow and you know touching on the iron lord's patrol things is also a very key thing because that's supposedly the primary way in which they kind of interact with the city during the battle of the um, six fronts, you know, mm-hmm. when this happened, they came along, they did patrols, they kept the fallen away from vulnerable breaks in the city's walls. And that's how everything sort of started to evolve with regards to their involvement, their protection of the early city. Yeah. And, you know, your, your comment just made me think of something. Uh, Silomar uh, has always been described as like a defense oriented Titan. Um, he's always like, he's very proud and he's very usually pissed off but he's also the architect like he's he was the architect of fell winter p or the iron temple he he made the iron temple yeah it makes me think um silmar that sounds really similar to what we do know about the stoneborn so could silmar actually be one of the founders of the stoneborn order i mean there's potential because i mean this this is entirely you know, it's it's theory. huge. It's huge speculation, but there's I, there's always the huge possibility that it isn't. Right. But at the same time, if you look at the links potentially between different things, um, note that the Stoneborn Order was the first ones that founded the walls of the city. Um, and note also Silmar's, as you say, his tendency to be the architect, so to speak. Um, damn it! I completely lost my train of thought, and I had a really good point on this. Ah, oh, it's killing me. Um, <laughs> Damn. Start talking, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Oh, oh, 
It's killing me now. It's killing me. Um, no, I'm just going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so Razor Lazir, Razor Lazir, right? Right. So Razor right, Lazir right. is a guardian. Technically, he's kind of. They call him one of the risen because guardians ha- is not terminology that they use at the time uh, of the super early city, literally the proto city before it's even called the city, mm-hmm. and. They don't use the words titans, they don't use the words guardians, but at the same time, they do use that term, the risen. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about how before there were even guardians, there were iron lords. So it's not out of the question that Silmar maybe started, went to the city, found the iron lords, and then joined them. So he could well have been one of the risen that made the city's earliest walls. You know, these would have been patchwork things, but they would still have been walls, so to speak. So it's not out of question, but I'd say again, just because of the scale of Destiny's universe, you always have to right. put a bit of doubt in this. Like, well, you know, that's it, it, that's like our our yeah. idea of the wolves versus the lords. I mean, we we had that entire thing going because the names of weapons, because literally that's all we had was weapon names. And if you if you mm. pair up year one and year two weapons, they um, especially for the particular classes, they tend to be opposites of each other. Um, mm. And so there was, there was a few that you kind of had to stretch, but I mean, and obviously that was a stretch that <laughs> was that we weren't too, afraid to make that we weren't afraid to make. Yeah. And we are, we are nodding to us being silly for making, but I mean, at least, at least you're not suggesting that Ephrodite is the stranger because they're also, you know, they're both, well, hunters I, and they're both girls. I mean, I was going to bring that up, but <laughs> oh I know how much, oh I know God, how much, <laughs> I, I, I legit that theory, like that theory makes me so angry. There is grill in game. There is also grill in game. They are both hunter, therefore same person. Oh my god! Like, I'm sorry. It's not. That is not an academic way to break it down. It is not consistent with what I actually do. I've discussed that theory before, but you need to involve the Iron Lords, time travel, FWC potentially, Ishtar Collective, maybe the Vex. And that is a sh- no. I can't say that. That is a, that is a shootload. There's a shootload of different things to include in now, one different kind of theory. You know, you're going through quite a few different hoops to make I don't that know. happen. You're talking to Justin. No, I kind of. I, I want to know who made this theory. <laughs> Justin, Justin. I, I'm not. I'm not. Even, I'm not even going to recite it because the original theory doesn't even cite any of the supporting evidence that would require you know the stranger to be the same person as Ephrodite. It's literally just. They're both hunters and they're both women. What if one is the other? You know, it's just, it's, 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 uh, like there's, there's the loosest patchwork of potential stuff, but it would be like me saying, you know, uh, how do I best put this? It's a syllogism. It's like me saying, what if Dredgenior is Osiris because both of them are male and both of them are mysterious and they fell to the darkness, Uh, you know, it's like, come on. It's exactly. Don't insult Osiris like that. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly don't, like don't saying. insult the law by that, you know. Like <laughs> seriously, and, be- and besides, I refuse to believe that there isn't like a much more sort of, you know, cohesive answer. It's not. A, it's not. It's it's mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. And aside from anything else, there's so much evidence that points to the early Iron Lords being human because they came from Earth, and you know, the stranger is hmm, Exo. Well. Yeah, we could. Go and again, that's where the FWC links really come to. in, and it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, it it definitely is. That's the very, very <laughs> haphazard little theory you got there. So, for it. anybody I'm who wants to trigger, glad bife. you could air that here. <laughs> Anyone who wants to trigger, by just. <laughs> 
Yo, what if this grill, who's an exo grill and a hunter, is also this other grill who's like a human hunter? Is she? No. Is she? A, <laughs> that's Sorry, what that's... I'm gonna do from now on. I'm gonna, just gonna say lore and just stop. Lore. <laughs> oh man. So okay. So that's that's a very brief summary of six fronts, which then leads into. The much more well fleshed out battle of Twilight Gap, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we did we by if you said this already, um, Six Fronts was just one house, and Twilight Gap was all of the houses because obviously one house wasn't a good idea, and it was mm-hmm. except for Winter, and thank God for that because if they had been there. He yeah, probably wouldn't wolves. be having this wolves. conversation. He means wolves. Oh, yeah. You wolves. mean wolves. Sorry, yes. He does mean wolves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we're going to get you. really technical exile, but that sort of, it really does push the definition of a house by that point. It's mm-hmm. like, exile is only called a house because it's this very vague banding together of fallen. And even so, it, mm-hmm. like, it's not even clear if they have a Kel or a prime servitor or an archon. Like the entire thing is a very loose mixture of all these different individuals. It isn't clear. It is not clear one at all. So yeah, three houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that battle in particular, it's actually kind of interesting because the only member of the iron banner that's there is actually in a very key position. And of course, by this point, the events of the Iron Lords trying to contain Siva have passed. And the only one that's left, or at least the only one that believes they're still around, uh, is Lord Saladin. Of course, we know from the deeper lore, spoiler alert, that Ephrodite is still alive as well. But um, we do know that there is... Uh, we, we do know that there is a group of individuals commanding the defense of the city, and Saladin is the one leading them. This mm-hmm. group, by the way, is also made up of other familiar faces... All of them Titans, Lord Shax and Commander Zavala are the other two. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting like that. You've you, you've got this very odd um, dynamic that eventually evolves between those three. But I think I should let Blue or Justin jump onto that. They don't like right? each other at all. <laughs> no. Shaq, well, and it, and this is really this this was really kind of the breaking point for their. I guess you, I mean, the relationship between the three of them, it, it, it made it feel like before this whole battle, they might've had their disagreements, but, and it always kind of seems that Zavala was kind of the one that kind of was calming both sides down, even like, especially now he's the one, Mm -hmm. but even before then I get the sense that Zavala was kind of the level headed guy and Saladin and Shax were the ones that were, you know, I'm I'm assuming that the horn that Shax broke was not from a battle. It was from butting heads with Saladin. But oh, dude, I'd love it if that literally <laughs> happened. Yeah, <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> because I mean, can, I mean, can't you see that? Like them literally butting heads. Because well, I mean, know, that's how titans. that's how Titans have a debate, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> but I are th- I are think auto rifle are good. No auto. <laughs> Rifle are not in meta. Hand cannon are in meta. You are not using as Luna scrub. <laughs> but <What>? this is <laughs> this is I mean, where it's, it's what Saint Fourteen was doing, right? right? Back in the day, he was disagreeing with what the Kel was doing by strangling him. He said, "No, sir, that's not very polite. I disagree with your idea of what hospitality is." Headbutt. Yeah, Clearly, so- I was correct. Said Saint Fourteen. 
he won the he debate. Said, sorry, it's, that's how they. I debate. was coming across the wrong way. <laughs> but this is this is where Shaq's kind of has a giant falling out. And two, in a military sense, he actually disobeys direct orders and leads mm. a charge into the Twilight Gap with our. I think it's Arkite and his other battle frames. And mm-hmm. thankfully, thankfully, Shaq survives and actually wins the battle. Um, because and saves the freaking day. Too, yeah, he, he act, like which a, is that was a risky move. Yeah, which actually the fact that he wins the day, I think, is the only reason Shax is still around. Because I'm pretty sure if you pulled that and you didn't, you would not be. I mean, dishonorable discharge would be the least of your worries. I I get the feeling around Saladin, but I mean, so and then that leads into um, Shax petitioning the Vanguard. To set up the crucible, which then Saladin, I don't know exactly when this happens. The theory is that Saladin was the Vanguard mentor. We don't know that for certain. Um, We do know that Zavala becomes the Vanguard mentor at some point. And so Zavala is now in the Vanguard and he and Shaxx petitions the Vanguard to set up the crucible as a training ground. Um, Hmm. And then Saladin comes and within the crucible argues that basically yeah that's great that you're you're giving basic training but we actually need to set up something that will prepare them and actually prepare them and so within the crucible that's where we get the iron banner everyone who mm. plays everyone who's played destiny for a while knows that iron banner is or iron banter wow iron banner <laughs> I like Iron Banter. Iron Banter. Banter. That's that's what we're gonna we're gonna. No Jack, who is the uh, <laughs> Archbishop of Banterbury, <laughs> bringing so, forth all of his banterous goods with the Iron Banter. <laughs> oh. now, now that we've reclaimed Fellwinter's Peak, we're going to assemble inside Banterbury Temple. <laughs> Banterbury Cathedral, as it's known locally. Well, so Saladin forms the Iron Banner to do a couple things to forge new Lords of Iron and to remember the legends of his former companions. And then there's also, as we've I mean, kind it's, of, it's, it's okay. I, I, I hate to interrupt. It's not technically to forge them. Then well, there. it's to, right. It's, it's to train, to train, to train people, to the, sharpen them. Bungie- Bungie keeps on saying in the actual kind of promotional stuff for Destiny that by the end of the campaign, that's what you will be. You will be a new generation of Iron Lords. For this, it's very much the case that Saladin knows that the Plague Lands is a thing. He knows that Seaver is contained and that one day it may resurface as a plague that humanity has to face. And so this is what he's training Guardians for. He's training them to fight the Seaver. Right. And that's the purpose of the Iron Banner. Right. And it... I also find it interesting that his his name is Saladin Forge, and he's using a crucible <laughs> to find to find new guardians to fight for him. We kind of we talked about this. We talked about this in last week's episode where we talked about the crucible. One thing, yeah. But a crucible is a device that's used to purify metal, and iron is a metal. Is a metal, and which often comes have, with impurities, right? And you have a figurehead who is leading this, who is man- maintaining the crucible and using the crucible to forge new guard or to forge better guardians. And his name is literally Lord Saladin Forge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Fire. <laughs> Man, 
it's it's exciting just to see the parallels of names there. It's beautifully crafted to a certain extent. Right. I, I, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, if, uh, no, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I, I was just going to say, are we sort of vaguely done with Twilight Gap? Or is there more that really needs to be mentioned? Because I mean, aside from the fact that Saladin <sighs> is the one leading the defense initially, that's all that really can be said about Twilight Gap and the ensuing Crucible mm-hmm. creation and implementation of the Iron Banner afterwards. Yeah, I think I think that I mean that really does bring us to the point where you know we kind of kind of enter the big, and Drop it also it actually gives us a degree of a timeline, which feels really weird saying that talking about destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of things are being tied up timeline wise with this. I I don't mm-hmm. know how that I don't know what um, this feeling is. Does it does it is it yeah. is it questions being answered? Is that actually happening? It might be amazing what happens <laughs> when you put the law first and foremost in the game. Yeah, no, it's it's really. Um, before we move on from this kind of era, I want to ask this question: Do we all still kind of view Rezel as a standalone figure? I think that they are a standalone figure. I think that Rezel is. I think he's. Um, I think his story will evolve in the grimoire on its own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, aside from that, we can't really tell. I think everyone seems to be sold that he's going to turn out to be a character we already have been introduced to. Everyone's has a Rezel equals somebody mm-hmm. else theory. Much like Rezel this, equals much, much Dragon like Yor is my favorite one. Because right? they're both lands. Um Yeah. Because <laughs> they, you know, like, it, it's so <laughs> frustrating that we haven't picked Definitively, uh oh, you know it. Oh, there is. You know, <laughs> I lost you for a sec. Yeah, it, you know, it's. I think it is one of those things where really we just need to jump in and see what happens in the Thorn Quest, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so I'm so looking forward but, to more answers. But you can actually you can actually say they they did exist in the same general time in the same general place. Rezel and the Iron Lords. Yeah, they yeah, were. Well, they had early to. They would have to. Which is where because, the question kind of comes from is, you know, is Rezel one? I mean, he's not really a warlord, but he's no, he not really right. He yeah. contended with him. He was, I mean, he was a risen and, but he's not, I mean, he's not really an iron Lord either. I mean, like it's, it's, yeah. He's well, he wasn't kind banner. of this band by affiliation, you know, it's like if you joined Radagast's host, I suppose you are an iron Lord, but the Risen don't necessarily do that. There are just those people who we can, I guess, describe as the other proto-guardians who are just like, this is a city, this is a group of people that need defending, and I'm going to do it. You know? Right. Well, and I mean, I know uh, it was asked earlier in chat, what is the difference between guardians and warlords and iron lords and all this stuff? And it really comes down to the the basically the philosophical use of the power that the individual has been given. Um you know this this is this is yet another point towards the question of do guardians have free will and if they're not just you know pawns on on the traveler's board it kind of is a point towards us you know as guardians us having free will and being able to use that power for good or evil we kind of saw that with you know dragden um and when we saw that ability being abused, we see it with Osiris in his, his you know, I, I hesitate to call it a full-out rebellion, but his difference, his schism with the speaker, 
Um, you know, he kind of goes his own way. Dragon definitely went his own way and kind of, you know, reap the benefits of that bad choice. But the warlords, the figure of the warlords really show that, you know, just because you got the powers of the light, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily quote unquote good, which, you know, a lot of us, the people who have, who exists shoulder deep in the grimoire cards and who have kind of connected all these dots that kind of is not a, that's not a big surprise, but I think for some people that is, I think that is really kind of a surprise to people that, Oh wait, just because you were raised as, you know, an undead lich, um, you're not necessarily fighting for the traveler. You're, you actually do have a choice. You do have a choice of who you fight for. And, you know, these warlords are yet another kind of tick towards that pointing to be that is actually the case you actually do get to choose even after you've been resurrected which side you are which side you are supporting hmm. oh yeah and there's multiple examples of that like you said dragon your um i i kind of view the guardians and you can read the grimoire for for guardian and it goes into how their warriors forged yes forged in the traveler's light mm-hmm. uh they they're most commonly characterized by their defense of the city. Um, that's, and I view the warlords as having been risen, resurrected by a ghost, and they chose another path. So same beginning, um, different choices. And you could be risen and not be a guardian, I believe. I mean, these are all just ideas. It's nothing hard and fast here, but... Um, people get hung up on the, on the labels, mm-hmm. warlock, hunter, titan, um, you know, guardian, not guardian. Uh, one of the, one of the, uh, best examples of this is just get in an, in a conversation with anyone about Shin Malfour and whether or not he was a guardian. Okay. You know what I mean? Because because the only description that's given to him is renegade hunter. Renegade hunter. Yes. There's so many um, ways to read that. Oh my god! But but that's that's what I'm talking about. I mean, we get so we this game is so um, organized in how they organize things into classes and subclasses and you know categories that we get caught up thinking that the lore should fit those little tiny boxes. And I totally think you could be. Um, you could have guardian type attributes and have never been to the city. I mean, mm. Oh yeah, I agree. As the sunbreakers, the sunbreakers kind of come to mind. I don't mm-hmm. know if they've ever actually been to the city or not, but it's, it's a questionable one, but we don't know enough about their history. Really? We know it's, that um, it's claimed that they've never set foot in the city. Yes. Mm. By Zavala. Actually, no dude, it's not that take, I'm going to search this up. Wait, no, I can go to discord and use Lorbot. Lorbot. Lorbot is, by the way, my favorite addition to Focus Fire Chat. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Um <laughs> hashtag item sunbreaker mark. It's a uh, Sunbreak Sunbreak Challenge. Is the quote Is that the exotic yeah. class item? Uh no, it's a bounty actually. And the quote on it quest. is, the, the light quest. of the sunbreakers have never been seen within the walls. Wield it well. And that's the commanders uh, of Vala see. 1. And then also, no, in-game the, quotes. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I've, I've totally, I, I can totally find this. Because it's, <laughs> it's really... Um, 
Mark of the Sunforge, that's the one. Uh, nope, wait, nope, that's not it. It is actually the Sunbreaker's Mark. What? Yeah, it says on the Sunbreaker's Mark, once these marks streamed proudly from the city's rooftops, now they are symbols of defiance. Right. So here's here's the interesting point on that is, so we have, and we kind of got into this, I can't remember what episode this was, but we got into this because there is actually, there is actually an order of sunbreakers but there's also a class of sunbreakers and hang on let me see if i can find this real quick because it's subclass or well yeah sorry subclass um sun legion there is a sun legion and a sunbreaker um and the sunbreakers were the sunbreakers were the titan order that operated independently of the last city now the Sun Legion was the I think it was the order that was in the last city, but they were known for generating or uh, for donating armor to give to newly rised Titans. So there's a Sun Legion, and there's actually an order called the Sunbreakers, as well as the subclass of Sunbreakers, because you know that wasn't confusing enough already i i just i I remember looking at this i'm like are you kidding me like (laughs) i bet that like jill and christine from the bungie story team are just like listening to this so like you're still caught up guys (laughs) (laughs) i kind of i kind of can see but basically what that means is there's actually a capacity of being a quote sun breaker in the order of sun breakers but they're Oh, no, wait, backwards, backwards, sorry. The Sunbreaker Order never stepped foot in the last city. That is not to say that a Sunbreaker Titan never stepped foot in the last city. Does that make sense? The Order... just wasn't there in an official capacity. No, because not all... So it's, it's, it's not all Sunbreaker Titans belong to Sunbreaker Order. In the same capacity, because there, there were so the order could have been made of all Sunbreaker Titans, but not all Sunbreaker Titans necessarily belong to that order. They could have been in the Firebreak order or the Stone. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a there's it, it's a differentiating, slight, but it's differentiating between the subclass and the um, political affiliation. Exactly, I, and it's it's a very 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 thin line, but I think that it could be a way. I yeah. Could be a way that had not heard anymore. Right. Well, no, my, um, yeah, no, that's not going to happen, but it, it's, it's a, and, and then that of course all gets destroyed by the sunbreak challenge quote, where it says the light of the sunbreakers have never been seen within the walls. So, you know, that whole mental exercise I just went through was thanks to Vala. So, <laughs> you big jerk. <laughs> so, jerk. so, I just want to. I just want to play catch up. Yeah, we are all kind of in agreement that the that the fallen probably have not the architects of this whole SIBA outbreak. They're just trying to to be opportunistic and use it. Is that correct? Yeah. To a degree, I think they found it and they released it, and in that capacity, they're the architects. But yeah. I don't think that they really have a long game, like long game plan. Yeah. 
Mm. I, I kind of view I, it I, like the in Borderlands when they opened the vault. Yeah. And they didn't know what was in it type of thing. Well, and I think mm. Bife, you said it too. You know, why why bow to a machine god when you can become one? Precisely. And uh, with that in mind, it's... Uh, I mean, like, this is the thing that scares me the most about SIVA, is it's something where you literally have a lack of control whilst they believe there's control. You know? It, right. Like, you, you look at SIVA and you can um, you can perceive it again as this great tool. Of course, the Fallen use it for wanton destruction, but there's always that question in the back of my mind, which is, what is controlling what? You know? And it's very clear that SIVA is the tool, but we still don't know what the true mind behind SIVA is. We know that there's, uh, for example, Sovix, the splicer priest from the Wretched Ice Strike. Mm-hmm. He goes ahead and he uses SIVA, but it never says that he controls it. Right. And that's what's really horrifying. You know, whenever SIVA's referenced, it's never referenced as something with a fallen directly control. They use it. They take it. They adjust things with it. They morph things with it, but they never are quoted to control it. And that's what's really scary. No, I mean, so yeah, it's, it's something you unleash ra- more rather than you. Mm. you well, know. it's like it's like a fire. You know, you can use fire, but you, you start a fire. You but. can start a fire, but you don't ever really control a fire. You know, it's it's by its own nature, it's it's chaotic and it it consumes everything. So you can use it to you know build or to destroy or whatever but if you but you can never you can never say 100% that you control it it's a tool but it's not really a a controllable tool mm. yeah i'd say so i'd agree hmm. i wonder did we yeah again like this is the thing i know I, everybody knows by this point i've gone through i went to bungie and i played the damn thing but even even as I play through that campaign, I am left with more questions than answers. And that's a very good thing to a certain extent. It is kind of also a slightly bad thing, but you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's a bungee thing, is what it is. Well, it's, I was yes. going to say it's about par for the course. That's how you felt after playing all the other campaigns, correct? <laughs> right, yeah. To a certain extent. But yeah, I suppose. Like, we're always left with b- bigger questions about where the story goes next, I suppose. But it's interesting. The, there was there was one thing I think we said a little bit earlier um, when we were talking about the risen that I I thought I personally always kind of come back to this whenever we're talking about the use of light, um, and that was you know that we were that there were periods in time where these classes and these subclasses didn't necessarily exist, um, and we actually see that a bit with the memory of Fellwinter. The the quote that it came with is that. He, I accept the consequences. Well, there's that, but the memory of Fellwinter is that a, he was an Iron Lord with good intentions, but sometimes questionable and unusual ways of interacting with the light. Now, and that's and that's the end of the quote. But the the point here is that if you think about it, and this is this is actually a really good way for us com- to combine game mechanics with actual lore in the use of supers. If you look at the way that it's described to access paracausal capabilities by the hive in the books of sorrow, they do it through the use of rituals. They use a summoning ritual to basically call forth the energy of paracausality and to manifest that into the material realm. 
all that mm-hmm. is to be said is basically they're wizards, they're sorcerers. They're, I mean, I mean, th- I mean, and I don't mean that like tongue in cheek. I mean that literally. Like a wizard mm. or a sorcerer will go through a very set ritual to summon powers, you know, in the supernatural sense to manifest in material. That is basically what the hive are doing with you know, all their paracausal capabilities. That's where the, the concept of sword logic and the man, like the focus on that medium of killing comes from is it's a very specific way to do that. If you look at it, every single guardian that's ever played all summons their supers in the exact same capacity. A gunslinger will always hold the gun up high and summon that solar energy. The night stalker always jumps and punches into the, the void to draw back the bow. Um, a defender Titan always casts the shield the same way. If you start I mean, thinking it's, about it's, that, it's even described in the same way by Wei Ning. It's literally quoted. Wow. It, it's this thing where they talk in Titans about the technique of doing it, you know, draw forth from the void, but then surround yourself with the natural shield, you know, make right. that, make right. it energetic for you and your allies. And then, you know, you it's, know it, it wasn't enough for them to defend the walls. They had to become the walls. You know, all these quotes, but if you start thinking about that, that actually makes sense because that is a very specific ritual to create a very specific effect. The cause and Mm. effect, you are applying cause and effect to a paracausal capability, which is, that's a whole different philosophical debate that we can have later. Mm. But the thing is, is that Felwinter, when I read that, what that tells me is that Felwinter actually was pushing the boundaries of the subclasses, which means... You can actually have a striker titan that has void energy. You could have a void walker who has solar energy. Because well, potentially s- you can sacrifice your ability to do some things in order to gain other powers. Correct. So you can you can actually use the light in questionable and unusual ways and create a different super manifestation. I mean, that's when I read that, I was like, yes, that actually makes perfect sense. And, you know, as other guardians look on or as a risen or whatever title you want to put on them, that would be really weird to them. Mm. Like it would scare them because I'm not sure necessarily it's always a safe thing to do. You know, the light is a very powerful source of energy and if you don't maintain it properly i'm sure there are explosive reactions that might not necessarily be what you intend so that could also be why he was up on a mountain (laughs) but i just when i read that i was like that was the first thing that came to mind so i did want to say that before before we move on and i forget about it God, there's so much I wish I could say right now. It's killing me. <laughs> Fell winter. Not, not even about that Iron Lord. Not even about that particular Iron Lord. Well, I mean, no, no, no that's, note, though, the safe, that's the safe word. To pull, <laughs> anyway, to pull, damn it, damn it, damn it, Justin. <laughs> to pull onto another Iron Lord, though, that really is interesting. You can go ahead and take a look and discuss uh, everything that goes on with T- Timur, as I found out that it's now been... Tima, as it's pronounced, which I'm still not a fan of. I think Timer is a bit more epic. But Tima is one of those Iron Lords where, according to his effect, he's less understood because of his necromantic practices. So that in itself sort of sets him apart from the group. But yeah, there's, there's, there's cool stuff, I think, that potentially can happen down that particular line, especially if you consider what Siva kind of is. They describe it as a plague, but 
I mean, it kind of alters and it's a little bit like a parasite, you know? It, it, it literally, the appearance of it is very deliberate when Bungie created it, you know? It's very much made so that it looks like this kind of artificial, sorry, not artificial, uh, almost organic thing when you take a look at its appearance. You know, the, so, thing, yeah. about, the thing about Teamer or Tim, whatever, I don't even Tim know what we're going to... Yeah, that Teamer. one. Teamer, Teamer. Uh, the one, the thing about that is that the description, so everything they've always, they've always talked about this in the King Arthur sense, right? Um, when you describe a wizard of necromantic capabilities in a King Arthur situation, it's interesting because first off the really big picture, the big thing that comes up is Morgan Le Fay, uh, which was Arthur's sister. And so obviously, you know, there's the whole gender difference there but then also the fact that morgan lefay's um entire purpose was to kill arthur so it Mm. makes me really confused exactly the dynamic of this group because you have a you have a merlin Uh, i think that's the um who is it scory i think yeah scory is the the Merlin merlin equivalent and so then you have humor and it's like so there's a necromancer in the King Arthur myth too, and that necromancer's like one purpose was killing King Arthur, and King Arthur is Radagas. Like, like how how far does this parallel go? Like exactly. <laughs> so I mean, Winterfell, 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 Winterfell. Winterfell. <laughs> oh yes, I mean, I the 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 okay, last point I was we'll talk about the one. The last, the last point I was going to make on this connection here is that um, Radagast, from memory of Radagast, is explained as carrying a sword into battle. We all know King Arthur had a sword, Excalibur. The funny thing is Morgan Le Fay actually went out and created a sword and sheath modeled exactly like Excalibur in appearance and substituted for Arthur's. Now, the problem is Excalibur in the myth was kind of a cloak of invincibility for Arthur, I mean, not exactly, but it basically kind of, you know, very broad sense it was. This sword was not, and that kind of created problems. So, but I'm not going to torture Bife any longer with the need Thank for... You. Any more King Arthur? <laughs> no, the King Arthur so, stuff is fine. <laughs> it's the connections to the, the game. So I don't know what this. I can and can't talk about here. I <laughs> No, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things if when you all... when you talk about necromancers in the King Arthur legends, it it just that that is um, that parallel is what strikes me as being something that it, it it was very odd for them to heavily emphasize the fact that it was Arthurian legends, and then the memory of Timur actually calls out him being kind of a necromancer, you know, within that legend. Yeah, yeah. So that that he was, was just, you he know, was weird. the he was the one that the city's enemies dreaded most. Oh yeah, mm, according I, to I the mean, class item, yeah, which I love. By the yeah. way, I, I want to say that we 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 um we warlocks have that over damn titans and hunters. They ain't got <laughs> nothing on oh Timur. What you've got? Titans what, weren't Timur dreaded the most or, by the or, city. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, oh. Gellion, Gellion had a few. No, okay, according to according to Gellion's artifacts, just he he kind of didn't care as long as he was helping people. 
he seems like the altruistic one. But the description that you always seem to get from any of the extra stuff that gets sort of brought up within the discussion was that he was a pessimist. Yes, which I kind of like. I like that. Yeah. Well, no. uh, It's kind kind of like that. Hmm. I I kind of almost picture him as a Dr. Cox from Scrubs character. (laughs) Kind of like, wow. Like, you know, Ephrodite comes into the so the fell winter's peak one day and she's a new she's a new iron lord and he's like newbie script <laughs> yeah 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 uh you know yeah. and then there's a, no, there's a point which they sit down and have a serious talk and they're like we have real people to save here newbie are you gonna shoot and you're gonna hit <laughs> oh wait no you're Ephrodite. you are gonna shoot and you are gonna hit so why did you hit two at once that's what we need to do now come on Ephrodite, step up oh, your game girl I don't know this why is, I burst into this. This is awful. This <laughs> episode doing? has had more Bife impersonations per capita. <laughs> per capita. <laughs> How many Bife impersonations have you two done this episode? Uh, <laughs> oh, this episode? We're, we're, we're just letting you do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like in, in chat before you got in there, I'm going to say it's a smallish number. <laughs> I was actually I was thinking of Payrun, uh the Iron Camelot Grips, which she who hunted the darkness where it dwelt. Mm. Well, that's where you got to go to hunt darkness, but mm-hmm. which is why where, you know where it is the theory of her being a night stalker. That mm. you know yeah, situational that is... awareness. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. So, I don't know. I think my favorite Iron Lord probably Ephraim. Mm-hmm. There's a there's That's an interesting where my vote's going. There's an interesting connection with Ephrodite as well because Ephrodite. So and I've I've made this a couple I've made this comment a couple times, but Ephrodite has a really interesting artifact. Uh, and everyone probably knows oh, this one. Oh. Ephrodite's mm-hmm. eye. Artifact. Oh yeah, that one. Okay, the non-special one. Yeah, the non non-special. The one. Well, non-special. the the internet the the internet the interesting one is if you look at there is another artifact, and I'm trying to trying to find it right now. <clears throat> the parasitic optic. If anyone if anyone oh, yeah. knows this, yes. this is another no, this is another hunter artifact. It's got a it's got a very intriguing color. It's red. Um and its quote is not there's not a name on the quote, but its quote is listen, I don't know how it works. I just know that it works, okay? No, I'm not worried. Well, if you combine that concept with the fact that we have a stone eye from Ephrodite and there's an optic enhancement that's parasitic, kind of like Siva, it makes an interesting I theory that did not even think about makes this. an interesting theory. Oh, hey, she's a really good sniper. You know what that requires is a really good line of vision. A oh, there's nanotechnology eye. that increases things. So that is a little scary. <laughs> of course, it works. <laughs> but why? <laughs> I'm I've got to ask this. I've got to ask this of, of our resident. Why is Gellion running around with Seagoth's head in his pocket? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need to know. Well, that that begs Poor the question. Of, I mean, that begs the question: Is Seagoth really even an Iron Lord, <laughs> or if he was just merely a, a, a victim, a poor Titan that was in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, and it's well, also it's not his actual head. head. It's a stone head. 
Yeah, it's not a statue. Yeah. That someone knocked his head off of a statue, but still, <laughs> it takes some hate. <laughs> takes some spite or some stupid. Yeah, well, a little bit of both. If well, I ever am it, lucky enough to have a statue, I don't want some idiot warlock knocking his head off. <laughs> hey, who said it was a warlock? It was who more said like it was Gellion? Gellion's the one that was actually protesting it. Yeah. Hey, like you smelt it, it, you dealt court. it. Okay. I thought we <laughs> got it. <laughs> Possession. Nine-tenths of the law. Well, and that, that, was, that was when we were talking about... Um, the potential of the crucible being like the gladiatorial games and you know the, mm-hmm. the champions of the crucible were getting statues erected of themselves in the city you know for praise and all that and one of the big things that in that time period the, the one of the biggest insults you could do is def, literally deface a statue except in that time period it wasn't usually that particular limb they cut off um and i'm not going into detail on that but let's just say it was a oh, lot right. more insulting. Wait, 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 why, why not? Why not, Blue? Why not? <laughs> wait, there's nothing non PG about that. They're just defacing a statue. What's wrong if they knock off the nose or one of the smaller arms? <laughs> the smaller. Or an extremity. <laughs> it's but an extremity. Let's just go there. Statues. What's happening? <laughs> what? Well, yeah. So there's there's a long long story of the way that Rome used. Uh, statues to mark the owners of houses and it was it was an interesting time um mocking territory you say no they i can't remember what the statue was but they would have a bust of each individual of each head of the house outside of the outside of the home and they would indicate who owned the home well this bust was usually you know it was about head height and it was carved with the, the face and the head and then down a little bit below there was another carving <laughs> And well, there was there was particular instances and riots in which certain people would go around and break off pieces of these busts to insult the owners of the houses. Just yeah, and then so what was the other carving? Oh my god! I'll tell, you after, I'll tell you know. after the show. I'll tell you after the show. He's too um, young to know. He's too young to know. I'm like oh, Johnson. What are you? Um, Why are we doing two hours like this? No, <laughs> <laughs> we we are spending way so, too much time talking about this. But okay. anyways, but that okay. led to the okay. the understanding of like maybe this was a statue of a champion of the Crucible, and you know one of the other one of the other contenders or one of the other challengers or something came by and actually you know literally defaced a statue as an insult to him, and then that leads to Gellion being like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. We formed the banner to fight the darkness, not ourselves, you know, and because basically it's becoming a bread and circuses situation. And Gellion, as one of the Lords of Iron, is kind of like, okay, hold on, hold on. You guys are getting way too caught up in this whole let's fight each other, you know, drama. Business. Which actually also makes me wonder if the banner was around at that point, that was before the Crucible. Hmm. You know, that, that was that was a rather that's a rather odd hole in the timeline. Um, but that that aside, that's where that kind of thought is, because it is a stone. It is a stone carving. You know, Ephrodite's eye is a stone eye. And so this is it's, that would make sense that they would have memorial 
statues of different famous individuals. And Sagoth might have just been a Titan. Now it is a it is a Titan helm with the Iron Lord symbol, the tree on it. So there is a there is a very strong potential that Sagoth is actually an Iron Lord or an Iron Wolf or whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. But he does not have his name on anything other than this artifact. Whereas so far yeah, we have we have all the weapons. It is literally the same helmet that Saladin wears. Which makes you question whether that's some kind of generic Iron Banner brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't really yeah. tighten that much banner. Is that a helmet you get? No, point? no. All of the Iron Banner stuff are tightened. Very different. The um, yeah, know, you can actually see the, this in the trailer. By the way, this is really cool. So, um, Radagast, we see him in the launch trailer. I'm pretty sure because we see a Titan next to as, as Yolda's running up the stairs, basically. Oh, to go yeah, ahead and sort of, yeah. Yeah, there's a Titan wearing the Year Two Iron Banner helmet, the default one, as opposed to the one which has got the blade on it. You know, it's got kind of the tuft of fur, mm-hmm. I want to say, going out of it, almost like feathers above the helmet. The Malcolm and with helmet. that you. Yeah, it's the Macklemore helmet. And, you know, it's kind of, it's vaguely clear to see that that is actually Radagast because he's wielding a sword and he's swinging away at the Siva. You can see it in a few frames. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's literally the smallest of details. But yeah. Yeah, talking about hmm. smallest of details in Yolder, there is, a, there is a comment about Yolder being a particularly close companion of Saladin. And that wait, makes wait, me, where's that? Where, where, it's where's a mem- that? memory of Yolder. It's a particular close companion of Saladin. Yolder was a mighty Titan champion who ran bravely into battle without a thought for her own safety, which I kind of called out and I was like, wait, hang on. Does that mean that Yo, there's a potential? these two? Are, yeah. Is there... these two. I ship these two. Yeah. I'm I'm like, just, that's exactly I'm what I was like. It. I'm like, wait, hang on. Is it, is this kind of hinting that Saladin might be, there might be more than just, Oh, I lost my friends. no, I lost I my lost my lover. lover, or you know, something more than a friend. Let's say. So it, it's just it was one of the, like I was like, hmm, that's a just a odd choice of phrase there. Hmm, indeed, it's I'm it, like this is what I kind of do love about it. Story that's unfolding. Hell winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn it, no, damn it, I, hate this. I was gonna, I was gonna also say this also Killing might me. point. This might also point to um, Saladin's hesitation to charge into battle, and his his issue with Shaxx charging into battle. If Yolder Dude, had if just, the, if that's the case, I never even thought about. I mean, because think about it: if Yolder had just perished to lock away Siva close to the time of Twilight Gap, that would explain why Saladin got so. F- freaking pissed at Shax for doing exactly what Yolder was known to do to mm. charge into battle without a thought for their own safety. Can you imagine that if it's like year six in destiny and that's kind of a quest where you have to reunite the two and it's Shax just has that moment where he screams out, I'm not Yolder. Oh my and God. Then, you know, I will be like, I was back, uh, but you're a brother to me. <laughs> just I like, will, I will pull this episode up and mark it and, and I'll be send like, that. And I'll send that right to you. I'll send it. that to you. <laughs> We called it, bro. We called it. Why did Why did Jack sound like a little adopted kid? <laughs> Out of all that, you that's what Justin gets. Me, Lord Out of all that, that's going. what Justin gets. 
You're supposed well, to leave the matter in balance. Don't leave it in darkness. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop. Oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. Perfectly all right. So, um, not to get back on the Arthurian stuff, I've just got a, a real important question. Who would Saladin be? I know we all said that Radagast is Arthur. So, um, it sounds a little crazy. But when I see Saladin, I see a lot of potential references out there to um, what's his face, Lancelot. No, not mm, Lancelot, because Yonder no. was supposed to be the equivalent of Lancelot. Scory was meant to be Merlin. Galahad. Galahad. There we I go. I can see Galahad. 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 Because Galahad, think. if I'm not getting the myth wrong, uh, was supposed to be kind of like the immortal warrior at the end. That kind of is one of the ones that ends up guarding the Holy Grail. Yes, in the kind of Arthurian legend. He's so also... if you bring if you bring that to its logical conclusion, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a nod to that that he's the last one that's alive, and he's the one who guards the plaguelands and prevents Siva from getting out. You know, he's guarding the Grail, which is not only a terrible source of power that ripped apart the Knights of the Round Table and Camelot, but also in the Destiny equivalent, you know, it has the potential to destroy the city. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's, there's yeah, and, also and that's actually no go, oh, for, go, it, go for it no no I, I was going to draw gonna another that, parallel but go for it real quick the the whole fact that the Siva poses such a big threat and has the potential to destroy the city the fact that Saladin's just sitting on this thing is that an indication that he doesn't trust the the vanguard and the speaker why are we just now hearing about this I don't know if it's an indication he doesn't trust the Vanguard and the Speaker. I do think that it's an indication that he just is... He holds the pain of the past, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you can see this... Spoiler alert, everybody uploaded the first story mission to Facebook. Not mm-hmm. Facebook, well, I guess some people threw it on Facebook when things jerks. Um, I hate Facebook as opposed to YouTube, by the way. <laughs> yeah, bad. Um but yeah, we uploaded it to YouTube, and in that, there's a line from Saladin which literally states uh, words to the effect of, this is not their responsibility, this is my burden. So, yeah, it's kind of how it's working. The, the other interesting thing about Galahad is that, so Galahad actually does actually, well, he doesn't, ca- he doesn't get the Holy Grail, but he is allowed to see, see the Holy Grail, he witnesses it. And there's a there's actually kind of a a point where he makes the request that he may die at his time of choosing. So mm. he he actually is that he's he's supposedly also the last per, last human to see the Holy Grail within the within the legend because after his perception of it, it it's taken back to paradise, but. Galahad, yeah, his his one request um, upon seeing the Grail was that he may die at the time of his choosing. Hmm. And he is actually the illegitimate son of Lancelot, so right. I did not know. Well, that just makes the whole, like, shipping salad in and yoga <laughs> yes. things, that just makes that awkward. Like, holy. <laughs> so not only did... So basically, basically, we have confirmation from Bife that not only did... <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't confirm it. I'm going over that. I'm going over that. Yeah. You guys were talking about earlier. <laughs> Fell Fell Damn it. <laughs> oh. 
I'm so sorry, everybody who just heard me drop that one. That was, uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's a okay. moment They're of weakness. Worse. Don't worry. Well, I'm trying to figure well, out. I mean, they listen to you every week, Justin. So I that's oh, that's a very good. I'm trying to figure out who Payroon would be. So in the law, Payroon was supposed to be the field commander of the Iron right. Banner. You know. So it makes me wonder what's the equivalent character of that for Arthurian Knight. That's what. I, yeah, that's what I'm trying to think. It's not Gawain. Man, I'm there's. It's been too so, long since I've actually uh, read quick, this legend. Yeah, I know we've actually talked about this blue before, but um, in there's actually a Perun in a uh, Slavic mythology. Mm-hmm. Yes, he there was, is. Perun is supposed yeah, to be he was actually, the god of war, right? Yeah, he and, was the highest god of the panth, and he was the god of thunder and lightning. Um, he had a bunch of other attributes: fire, mountains, wind. Pretty much everything under the sun, Maybe right? Yeah. Oh, that. So no. Yeah, we did. We have. Not. We have talked about that. Hmm. It's interesting, though, the juxtaposition that uh, in the uh, destiny variant of all this, Perun is actually a woman. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. like Lamar. No, Mordred. That's who I was thinking of when I was talking about Timur. Mordred. Mordred is oh, the uh, son Head. son of Morgana. <laughs> And who yeah, is no actually, one likes him. Yeah, no one, no one likes him. He backstabs everybody, including Arthur. <laughs> like, no, really? literally, that's how he kills everybody. Is he's like, I'm gonna sneak wow, up. Wow, spoiler and... alert! I, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round legend. Table. I mean, come on, come on, it is, come on. It's like, only bro. been around. Well, it's not, to, ready, not yeah. to mention the classic Arthurian few variants of it. So, well, like, yeah, you can go just back. a, just a few, like the. Just a few. The fact that people get conf- confused Excalibur as both the sword and the stone and the sword that came from the Lady of the Lake is proof enough that that myth is a little confusing. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's a very... Yeah. And the one that sings, too. That I'm familiar with that one. Oh. Excalibur is the blade that sings? <laughs> Dude, that's cool. I have another uh, one, actually. Yeah, from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, um, <laughs> damn it. Oh, Gellion. Gellion would be Sir Kay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Uh, I don't Sir- actually remember this bit. Fill, fill, fill me and the rest of the Sir, audience. Sir Kay was a very, very close uh, and faithful companion of Arthur, as well as being a Sinichal. Sinichal? I don't know. Basically, his. Yeah, his basically his like keeper of everything, um, but he was also he he had a very vol- volatile and cruel nature. Uh, he was he was not a yeah. very friendly. He was a person. bully. He was a bully on the battlefield and off, and he was also like a serious force to be reckoned with um, yeah. on on the field of battle. But that would that would compare to Gillian's um, sullen pessimist, but his ability to assess the situation, no matter how dire. Hmm. I'm, I'm nice. going to sit here and Timmy I'm going to draw parallels. So we should probably stop me before I keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a good activity for chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Though. This is good. I like this. And aside from anything else, I've never had the opportunity to sit down and like flesh out all these elements with other people who vaguely know the, 
you know, the Arthurian knight's tale and beyond just like, yo, Lancelot and mm-hmm. Merlin and Arthur and Excalibur. I'm yeah. totally making a table or mind map on this. Yeah. We will share this in chat. Uh, I will find a way to share this. You're going to make a table? No, not a table. A mind map. You make some chairs. <laughs> make some chairs. Oh, my too. gosh. All right. Um, I think we're ready for shout outs. I think we're ready for shout outs at this point. When 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 Justin starts making fun of my my carpentry skills, that's that's when we know we're we're ready to <laughs> to nip it in the bud and call it good. Um I do want to give a big shout out before we go into formal shout outs. I do want to give everyone an encouraging kick in the bottom to go watch Bice video on basically I think it's what 12, 15 minutes of the story. I think it's about 15 minutes of the prelude yeah. to Rise of Iron. It's a one really that good summary. It, it, I think it's pretty really awesome. Is. So go watch yeah. that. All, all, go, the different, all the different elements to the things we know about the story of Destiny and Rise of Iron before the actual expansion comes up. This is everything you need to know in terms yeah. of backstory. So, you know, all and, of the obscure history of the Iron Lords and the Iron Banner and of the House of Devils that unlocked Siva. A little bit of stuff on Rasputin because it's relevant, but mostly it's those two factions, the Iron Lords and the House of Devils. And you get to see some really cool Rise of Iron gameplay. So, mm-hmm. mm. Lots of the splices. Yep. So anyways, let's let Bife, let's let Bife lead us. Bife. Yes. Do who, so. do you, who do you want to shout out? In in the oh, in the shout outs. Okay, I thought you were saying lead us in the outro. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, you're well, singing that. this time. Okay. No. Um. If I'm if I'm going to go ahead and do shout outs, the first obvious one has to go to out to Focus Fire Chat for obviously inviting me on and hosting because you guys are very gracious every single time you do that. I think I also need to go ahead and give a shout out to Mylan Games, who is the other I'd say prominent Destiny lore YouTuber out there who really is a lot more diligent with putting out only lore content than I am. I mean, by definition, my channel is very much a hybrid. I do creative lore content, but I also do news and guides and PVP. So I would say if you want someone who's ultra dedicated to it and the only stuff they'll publish is on lore, or at least almost the only stuff aside from, you know, the regular things that every YouTuber does, definitely go ahead and check out Mylan Games because Matt does not get enough. um, He does not get enough fanfare at all for what he does. And he is a scholar and a gentleman, genuinely someone that I'm ecstatic is a part of the law community because it means that I'm not the only law nerd on YouTube. We can le- we can nerd out together with all this. And you know what? He advances theories with a lot of um, like this is the thing. Him and I respectfully disagree on a few points when it comes to the law, but there's all these different points at which I can go ahead and look at him and be like, this is what the law community should be like in terms of just what inspires and community members, right? Because I sit there and even though we disagree on things, it's not a disagreement where it ends a friendship. Every single time we disagree, it's just something where we can sit back and say, so how does how do our different viewpoints kind of affect our own theories? Like, what can we evaluate from each person's perspective and say, yeah, I think yours is more correct than mine, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and on both ends, it, it solidifies whatever thoughts we have. And that's what law should be, you know? It shouldn't be a thing of saying, you know, like, this is uh, something where I can completely disagree, even though earlier in this episode I was going on about the Ephrodite thing. But <laughs> maybe the, maybe this alludes to the person that that particular theory came from, but I didn't think they were particularly yeah. respectable when it came to understanding the actual story of Destiny. 
This is well, the same yeah. person that quoted that there were four gods, uh, in, or four worm gods, and that one of them was called Aka. And all of a sudden, he's just... It, it, not five, but four. And this is after Oryx had killed one. Yeah, let, let's not even get into that. Point is, um, yeah, like, he is exactly what I would want from this law community, as far as most people go and it's it like he's just exemplary in everything he does like i can't pray i can't praise my games enough go ahead and check him out if you can exactly those and are my I, shout outs I, focus fire yeah. and my games we part of the agree with that one my is and i amazing. think he was i think he was just on the lore cast wasn't he mm. i think i think s- i saw them I think so. Well, no, Anon, Anon Pig is on a lot of his, because uh, he he does live streams through YouTube, similar to the way that we do through oh, Twitch. Okay, cool. And Anon is a lot. Anon is on the Lorecast, and I think he might have been on the Lorecast as well. But I know that they've been on the YouTube stream a lot. Um, and he, yeah, I we we might have something in the works for a round mm-hmm. a round table of sorts of our own. Um, if we can make, uh, time. I see what you did. I see what you did there. <laughs> if we could figure out there. the schedule, because it's what he's in that's Australia. Bifes in that's the table you're. That's I'm in the, the UK. Bifes, you know, UK. you know what we are. This is, the, this is the this the Arthurian Knights of the Round Table of Law, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> okay, so th- on the count of three, we're all going to say who we are. Oh, okay, God. ready. Two, three, uh, Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> you cheeky piece of shiitake mushroom. So, so yeah, Mylan right. definitely gets definitely gets one of my shout outs. The you other shout out Mylan is Mylan is Lancelot. Mylan is Lancelot. There we there go. There you go. I'll give it I'll give him Lancelot. I'll give him Lancelot. <laughs> um the as other as long as he does my bidding. The other shout out is obviously to Bife. Uh, we really appreciate you yeah. coming on and you know letting us tease you with not being able to respond to all our crazy theories because you might get in trouble. Um, we appreciate it, and we also know that it's like really, really ugly it's early. Seven, no, six thirty in the morning. Ba- basically, Bife doesn't sleep, and we really appreciate that he. Yeah, allows yeah. Us I'm on to- team no sleep till rise up. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are getting uh, you guys are getting the greatest version of life here basically mm-hmm. oh my god it's not quite the greatest but it's close it's close <laughs> pretty the greatest. it's pretty good it's pretty close it's pretty good it's pretty no, good this is top shelf by um, top shelf oh lord oh loud so yeah yeah um so my shout outs uh big shout out um to buy for coming on it's always a pleasure every time you get to uh he's been really busy so we we haven't got to see him in a little while that's why we seemed a little bit a little bit goofy um but yeah uh big shout out to destiny lorecast um a uh new new podcast coming new up po- with some amazing yeah new podcast with uh mike from planet destiny and who else is on that one Blue? Uh, Isn't dragon, handsome dragon. dragon, and a non-pick. And non-pick. Oh, yep. Yes, that is correct. I completely blanked there. Dragon can be mad at me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, 
I don't know if they've, I think they've shipped an episode. I'm not sure. Yes. But they, yeah, they they've shipped two. two. They've shipped two. Yep. Okay, cool. Cool. So check them out for sure. Um, shout out to Mel, who couldn't be here, our new our new co-host, and also Willie. Um, I, did, I didn't know you guys had a new co-host. Mm-hmm. Is yes, this is this do. this is this is Mel from the chat though, right? Yes, uh, Wind of the Stars. Ah, okay, awesome, amazing, amazing cosplayer. Um, and also, oh, damn it! Okay, no, I was thinking of a different amazing. Stop, Mel! Oh my god, that's <laughs> cool. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm having a yeah. I'm having a morning here, guys. I'm, I'm having, having, okay, having a morning. But this anyways. Is, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah. If I missed anyone, it's because I'm super tired. So I'm super tired. Bye for real quick. Why don't you tell everybody who, you know, might be hiding under a rock and not know where can, where can we all find you on the internet these days? So you can find me in multiple places. First and foremost, I am on YouTube. You can go ahead and search. My name is Bife. That's my name is B-Y-F into YouTube. And then mine is the first one that will come up. We are approaching a third of a million subs, which is crazy. Super crazy. We are. Yeah. Is that we are 7,000 subscribers away from that milestone practically, Nice. uh, which is cool. And it's a nice round bungee number for seven. Yay. Um, Alternatively, if you want to go ahead and just get my round ravings, destiny news, all of this other good stuff, as well as keeping up to date with everything that's going on in my life. I have Twitter. So that's at my name is Bife, same spelling. Nearly at 100,000 followers on that, which is pretty cool. I'm amazed that people care about my ranting and raving and nonsense that much. Follow That's me also that where he, yeah. he breaks the internet from. Yes. Yeah. I, occasionally I get a haircut, and for some reason people copy my display picture. <laughs> if ever I tweet out a picture that I haven't had a haircut. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's a thing. Also, uh, something that I'm really kind of happy exists. Patreon. It's something that is... Uh, I don't I, I don't shout this out a lot because it's one of those things where Patreons are often scowled at by the internet because my eyes, you know, it's like uh, I take money, etc. But I promise this is for a good cause. The Patreon is made specifically so that I can fund the artists, animators, voice actors, composers, and everybody else basically who makes the animated lore videos that I put out on my channel. Those are things like the Via Grimoire cards, the Book of Sorrows series. And Legends of Destiny, which should be returning at some point soon if I can get that arranged, I hope, I pray. Um, so with all of that in mind, you know, the money goes to them. And if there's any excess, we make sure that we send it to charity instead. So that last month, for example, in August, we were completely and utterly like full at capacity on law projects. I didn't have any artists that need pay that needed paying. So I took the executive decision, which I don't normally do. Normally I leave it down to the people on the channel. They've vote democratically about where to send their money from a few options. But in this one instance, I decided that we, we're going to send our $2,000 to the um, Destiny Con charity drive. So $2,000 or $2,075, whatever small difference that makes, went to uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So I don't oh. take any of the excess. I don't put any of it in my pocket, so to speak. It goes to the, straight to those guys. That's so, amazing. Way to yeah. go. Great cause. Thank you. Yeah, the Destiny Comicon. I think the final count was five hundred and forty odd, thirty-two thousand, maybe thirty-two. Okay, yeah, it was. We made national but still, news. Half like, a million. What the Destiny was. community made national news for a charity stream. So, 
pat yourself right, on so. the back for that. As as Gathalian would put it, dead game brings life back to children. You know? <laughs> I, loved, I, loved, I loved him shouting that at the convention. He's like, the mm-hmm. game's dead, right? Yeah? Yeah? Yo, guys, Division got killed Destiny. Everybody should stop playing oh Destiny and stop playing Don't Division. <laughs> well, with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend the evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Thank you again, Bife, for coming to join us. We look forward to getting you on here again sometime soon. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through email as well. We do try to keep to the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central. But if we have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at focusfirechat. Also, be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on the guardiansofdestiny.com. So, until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright. <laughs>